So there's the story of a man who went to the mall the weekend before Christmas to do his gift shopping. And after 20 minutes of driving the full perimeter of the mall, going down every aisle he could, he could not find a single parking spot for 20 minutes. And so finally, in despair, he just stopped his car in the middle of the aisle and prayed to God. And he said, Dear God, if you will just find me a parking space, I promise I'll start going to church again. I'll tithe with my income. I'll even stop swearing and drinking if you will just help me get out of this car and find a space. And then the moment he said, amen, a car pulled out of the spot closest to the mall, right in front of him. And he looked up to heaven, he said, never mind, God, I found one. (laughs) And as we talk about, we've been talking about the voice of God for the last few weeks, but today we're going to talk about, is God's voice always a voice? And and what are the ways that God might be speaking to us and in fact even intervening in our lives? Uh, Or is it just merely coincidence? Uh, I've got a friend uh, who told me that he was once struggling with a decision about which school to go to, and and one night he was looking at a light, a, a bulb in the barn, and when he closed his eyes, the after image of the bulb made a C. Shape The letter C burned into his eyelids. And one of the schools he was considering started with the letter C. And so he took that as a sign from God, and he went to that school based on, on, on perceiving God working in that way. Or, actually, after the early service, I was talking with someone because of the topic of this message, and, and she shared with me this story that's so amazing. I got her permission to share it with you right now. She was telling me that she was getting married and the day of her wedding uh, had major cold feet. She was panicking. She was th- thinking, this is a mistake. I, I shouldn't be marrying this person. She- she's driving to the wedding and seriously considering stopping the car and just turning around and not going to the wedding. And right as she's kind of in the height of this, of this crisis and this panic mode, a truck passes her with the name of her fiancé on the back of the truck. And she takes that as a sign that it's going to be okay. She can go through with the wedding. And I told her, Kristen, that's great, but your husband's name is Ford. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's not her husband's name. No, he has, he has a very unusual name. It is not a name that you would see on the back of a truck. Uh, but, but what's going on there? Like, Are these coincidences? Are these people foolish for making life choices about marriage? Uh, based on, on, on a truck driving by at the right time. And, and someone like Seth Godin, who's an international uh, you know, business leader and speaker, um, and he says that there are no meaningful coincidences. That's something we make up. You know, like, like this woman, someone sometime was going to dress just like her hotel, and it's just, there's nothing more to it. Someone was going to wear that combination of clothing. Don't read anything into this, people. Like, it, it, this kind of thing just happens. Uh, and for Seth, uh, he says that we live in a life where, where random stuff is going on all the time, but because we're wired for narrative and meaning, we're just going to take random things and we're going to project meaning onto them. And it's not because the coincidence had anything significant to say to us. It's just because that's some evolutionary trait that's left in us from millions of years ago, right? Like, 
human beings to survive needed to be able to see different details and connect them into a story. You know, like a person, you know, ancient Neanderthal would need to see like the spore of a saber-toothed tiger and notice the broken branches and then hear a roar and say, I need to run. There's a saber-toothed tiger. And, and the human beings who couldn't do that, who couldn't figure out how to connect different details into a story, got eaten by saber-toothed tigers. Uh, and that's why we have this need today to project meaning onto things. Or maybe we have a God who designed us with, with a need for purpose and meaning because, in fact, he gives us purpose and meaning through his very creation of us. That when he made us, it's because he loves us and he wants us to have meaningful stories. And, and he's been building those stories behind the scenes and explicitly uh, from the dawn of time and in our individual lives. But how to know which is it? Uh, at what point is something a mere coincidence? Or at what point is God speaking to us in different ways? And thankfully, to help unpack this, there's a story of a man who had a talking donkey. Uh, his name was Balaam, and uh, it's one of the more obscure stories in the Bible. But Balaam was a seer. He was a, a sorcerer, a witch doctor. Of the time, and his fame was worldwide. People uh, knew of his reputation from hundreds of miles away. Uh, and so uh, the evil king Balak, who sees God's people as a threat, is looking for someone to curse God's people. And he knows of Balaam's reputation. He sends some messengers. And here's what's amazing God actually speaks to Balaam in an audible voice and tells him not to go prophesy for King Balak. Okay, So Balaam has heard from God directly. He knows what God wants him not to do. But King Balak is offering a lot of money. <laughs> so, so Balaam's kind of looking for an excuse, a reason, uh, to, to go get a good big payday uh, and take advantage of this need that King Balak has. And so that's going to be our text for this morning as we tap into God's voice and, and we... And we ask the question, is God's voice even a voice? And our text is Numbers chapter 22, uh, which, by the way, just to note, is not in any Christian church's preaching lectionary, uh, which means I've never in my life heard a sermon on Balaam's donkey, and I'd be willing to bet that you never have either, um, which is great for me, because no matter what happens in the next 30 minutes, you're about to hear the best sermon on Balaam's donkey that you've ever heard. So some pressure off. Uh, logically, you're also about to hear the worst sermon on Balaam's donkey you've ever heard, but, but we're not going to go there. So anyway, so this is the story, all right? Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. Uh, Balak is the king of Moab. Uh, but God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road and ran away into a field. Balaam beat the donkey to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. And so when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it couldn't run into the field anymore, so it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it just flat out gave up and it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. 
All right, so this is, this is where, we, where we enter into this story. And I want you, as you look at this, to, to not take advantage of the fact that we have thousands of years of, of biblical hindsight. We're getting told this story through the eyes of God himself. And so we know that there's an angel in the road. Pretend you don't know that. Pretend you're Balaam. And you're just trying to go about your day, making your living, doing the thing that you, you know, do. Uh, and you've got this donkey that is being obstinate and not going where you need it to go. And wouldn't we react the same way Balaam does? Right? Like, like, like I myself, I have a, a new puppy that is supposedly house trained. Uh, and every night I have to take this puppy out to do his business. Uh, and when he refuses to go, do I think, boy, God must be intervening in my life in some amazing and powerful way right now? Or do I think stupid puppy is keeping me from my friend's marathon? That, that's what I think. I could, be, I could be binging friends right now, but I got to stand out here in the yard with this puppy who refuses to poop. Like, this is my life. Or you, like, like when you're going about your day and you get in your car and the car doesn't start, do you think, oh, God's in, in, you know, doing a miracle in my life. He stopped the car. Or do you just complain about, you know, this piece of junk that you're driving that doesn't do what you need to do? Or, or, or when a coworker uh, is, uh, is interfering in your workflow and, and you're trying to do the job and, and, and they're not, and, and do you think, oh, this is God teaching me something right now. I've got something to learn. Or do you think, oh, if this person would just get their act together, then I could do the job I'm supposed to do, right? Like, like, so even knowing what we know about how this angel was intervening in Balaam's life, we don't see that in our own. And if we were Balaam, we'd just be sitting here frustrated and angry and probably beating the donkey ourselves, right? Like, like we wouldn't be so grateful for this angel, uh, you know, for this donkey saving us from the death by angel, but we, we'd be mad and angry. And what's big to me about this moment is I think that really describes a lot of our life in general. Uh, And I know it's kind of heady to talk about God and angels and stuff, so let me make it just real prosaic and just kind of get real mundane about this. Uh, Think about just marriage relationships, okay? Uh, And uh, so John Gottman is a a marriage expert uh, who I really like. I'm a fan of. I mean, look at that guy. I mean, wouldn't you trust your marriage to him? Look at that beard and that hat. Like... He, he must have seen a few things in his life. Uh, and he had this very groundbreaking epiphany about marriages. See, he, he hosted a, a, a situation where, where they had this really nice suite and they would invite newlywed couples to come have a weekend retreat uh, at his place. Uh, and, and they could just live their normal lives and have a nice kind of vacation together. But he and his uh, psychologist would kind of be observing and taking notes of things. And what they saw was that there's all these objective things that we use to measure the quality of a relationship. You know, like how attractive the people are or how financially stable they are, how successful they are, or how romantic their story is. And, and he was saying, actually, none of that really matters as far as really understanding and interpreting how well a relationship's going to do. He found one thing and one thing alone that explained whether a relationship would go well and be healthy and successful or whether it would go badly and end up in divorce or unhappiness. And that one thing was this, was that people are constantly making bids to each other a bid for connection. And in healthy couples, they respond to that bid, they accept it, and they engage with it uh, over 90% of the time. Unhealthy couples, when when a bid happens, they don't recognize that it's a bid, and so they reject it uh, more than half the time. And that one factor 
made all the difference as to whether a relationship was healthy and successful and happy or not. I mean, so just to give you some examples. So that'd be like the husband, you know, he's sitting at the breakfast table and, and he just casually mentions to his wife, oh, you know, England beat Sweden today. And she could reject, uh, she could accept that bid and say, oh, that's interesting. Tell, what was the score, right? And in that moment, she's accepted the bid. She's engaged with the husband. Or she could reject the bid. She could say, nobody cares about the World Cup, Doug. When are you going to stop talking about it? It's a little personal to me right now. And that would be rejecting the bid, right? Or, or it could go the other way too. Like for, for me, like, like I get to the end of the night and I really, I want to wind down. I want to watch some friends and then I want to get in bed and, and do my crossword puzzle. Like that's, that's my way to wind down. And in that moment, that's when my wife will choose to say, Doug, can you promise me that we are never going to die in a landslide? And I can reject that bid. And I can say, why are you bothering me with this? It's 10 o'clock at night. I'm trying to wind down. I don't need the stress uh, of talking about landslides. Or I can recognize there's a bid for connection, that my wife just read an article about a family that, that had a tragic circumstance, and she's looking for comfort and connection in the face of reading something sad and tragic. Right? I can accept the bid. But what's important to note about this is the objective realities of the situation didn't change. A marriage wasn't any better or worse. A relationship isn't any different. I'm not any more or less annoying uh, with my World Cup fandom. It's, it's all about the person on the receiving end, how they choose to interpret the interaction. Was this a bid for connection? Or was this just an aggravating interruption to my day? And I think that that impacts both marriages, but also even this story, right? Like, we know that God was making a bid for connection for Balaam. God was trying to steer him away from a bad path, a a choice that he should not have made. But Balaam interpreted it as aggravation, and he beat his donkey instead of recognizing that God was speaking to him. And and so when it comes to relationships, to life, to God uh, speaking to us, I've learned this truth. You find what you're looking for. In life, in relationships, in hearing God's voice, you find what you're looking for. There's a story of a man, a wise old man, who every day would sit at the gates of his village. And one morning while he was sitting at the town gate, a traveler came up to the man, and the traveler said, Hello, old man, what are the people like in this town? And the wise old man said, Well... What are they like in the town where you came from? And the guy and the traveler said, Oh, the, it's the, my last town was the most generous people you could ever hope to meet. People were kind. They opened their shops to all. They were ready to serve their neighbor. Uh, it was a truly great town. And the wise old man said, I think you'll find that the people in this town are just like that. And then a little bit later in the day, a second traveler came up. And the second traveler said, Hello, old man. What are the people uh, in this town like by any chance? And the old man says, well, what were they like in the town where you came from? And and this traveler said, oh, everyone was so selfish uh, and greedy. They were always looking to swindle each other. No one had a generous spirit, uh, and they were just happy to see the last of you. And the wise old man said, I think you're going to find the people in this town are much the same. Right, the town didn't change but what these travelers had experienced and were looking for in people made all the difference in how they were going to experience the town. I, I, know, I know two kinds of scientists. I know scientists who study everything uh, you know, in the world, and, you know, cosmos or microbiology, and they say, you know what, we've figured out all the answers. We don't need God anymore. We can explain everything through pure uh, scientific rationality. 
And then I've seen scientists who have amazing discoveries and they say, the more I learn, the more amazed I am at this God we have who created such beautiful and complex uh, and and mind-blowing things. The facts of the case don't change, just their interpretation of the event. So let's keep looking at Balaam. So then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey, holy smokes, a talking donkey. (laughs) No, he didn't. He said, you have made a fool of me. And if only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And I want to just pause here and reflect on a truth because I know that I used to pray and ask God uh, in my youth to show me a miracle. And I'd say, God, if you would just show me a miracle, I would believe it would put all of my doubts to rest. uh, And then I could just go through my life just comforted and knowing that you are real uh, and, and that you're looking out for me. But what I've learned since those days is I was wrong. God could show me a miracle and it, in fact, would not make that kind of a difference in my life. And I know it because of this story. It's a talking donkey. But he was so caught up in his own uh, agenda and intentions for his life that even a miracle right in front of his face, his response was anger and frustration that it was interrupting his day. And in fact, we look all through scripture and we see that people are, uh, they see miracles one day and the next they've already forgotten God's faithfulness. Uh, and I see it in, in the lives of people around me where, where people say, oh, I, I just wish I have a miracle. And I see things go on that they then immediately discount where I'm saying that felt pretty crazy to me. Uh, and so what, I, what I've decided after all these years is that God doesn't do miracles any less. We just aren't looking for them anymore. And, and when we ask the question about what's God doing in our lives and why doesn't he involve himself in a supernatural way, uh, and, and I look at places like Africa and Eastern Asia where you hear in Christian circles of God doing pretty amazing things, and you have to ask the question of why is God doing miracles in some parts of the world and not ours? And, and again, some people can look at that and say, well, it's just because they're more superstitious over there. You know, they're, they're looking for, you know, for things like that, and we're more rational in the Western world. And I would say, I think we've stopped looking for miracles because even if we saw one, we wouldn't recognize it. Just like Balaam. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. And if it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared the donkey. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. He didn't want to go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. See, he's being called to give a prophecy to the wicked king Balak. Speak only what God gives him to speak. And so Balaam went with Balak's officials. And this, I believe, is my, is a picture of my faith journey. 
right? Like, like God was so desperately trying to get Balaam's attention, and Balaam had no clue. God was working. He'd already told him once not to go on this trip, and, and now he's working through the donkey uh, and its own natural fears. Uh, he's trying so hard to make a bid for connection to Balaam, and Balaam is not recognizing it. And I think that's the same thing that I do because I know that I'm looking for God to speak to me in a very precise way. I want to hear God's voice. Uh, And yet, maybe I'm looking in all the wrong places. There's a story of a man who heard on the news that a flood was coming to his town. And a neighbor pulled up in his driveway and said, hop in, we're going to drive out of here before the flood gets here. And the man said, it's all right, I believe in God. God's going to rescue me from this flood. So the neighbor drove off. Then the floodwaters rose, and then they were up over the porch, and and a man came by in a canoe and said, hop into my canoe. Let's get out of here before it gets any higher. And the man said, no, it's all right. I believe in God. God's going to rescue me from this flood. I'm good. Canoe goes off. Now the floodwaters rise. Now they're up to the roof. The man's standing on his roof, and the helicopter comes flying in, and the the people yell down on the megaphone, grab the rope, we'll we'll medevac you to safety. And the man says, it's all right, thank you. God's going to rescue me from this flood. So the helicopter flies away, and then the man drowns. And he goes to heaven, and he confronts God, and he says, what's up with this God? Why didn't you rescue me from the flood? And God said, I sent you a neighbor. I sent you a canoe. I sent you a helicopter. What more do you want from me? And as I reflect on the way Balaam was interacting with God, or more importantly, the way God was attempting to interact with Balaam, I remember uh, this concept. Again, we're going to keep using marriage metaphor to help us unpack how God might be speaking. Uh, Steve Hauer and Dion Garrett, they've talked about this before, the five love languages. But this idea that when it comes to communicating love, there are five different ways that we communicate love to other people. And only one of those ways is words. Only one of those ways is using your voice, a very concrete angel standing in the road telling you a message from God. All the other ways are are, are different. It's physical touch, it's quality time, it's acts of service or giving gifts. These are ways that we communicate love to others around us. And in marriage world or just relationships and friendships, uh, that matters because if you're only looking for words of love, you know, someone saying I love you or I like you, then then you're missing all the other ways that someone might be communicating to you just as powerful of a message. And if we're only expecting or looking for God's word in a miraculous and explicit way, some angel standing in the road, then we're going to miss 90% of the ways that God might be communicating with us. We're not going to notice the donkey or the car not starting or the truck driving by with, with the fiancé's name on it because we're, we only want one narrow means of communication. But you see, there's a story of a man who 2,000 years ago claimed to be the very word of God made flesh. And I've always wondered what that meant. It, I mean, it sounds nice that Jesus Christ could stand there and say, I'm the word of God. And, 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 I, and I've always wondered, what does that mean? If, if God's word is a word, how can a man be a word? But what I'm realizing is Jesus meant that he was God's full communication of love made incarnate for us to see. 
You see, God wasn't just telling his people that he loves them, but he was showing it in all the different love languages that Dr. Smalley has identified, that that God gave us this gift of his son uh, to die for us on the cross. That Jesus uh, wanted to spend quality time with us so he didn't stay up in heaven apart from his beloved children. He came down to be a man and walk with us and be with us to show his love. That he didn't just use physical touch for hugs or comfort, but that with his physical touch, he healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cured the oppressions and the burdens that are on us in our life. And suddenly I start to get a picture that when Jesus said that he's the word of God, he meant it in the fullness of how God was communicating his love to us, his beloved children. Uh, The letter to Hebrews even describes this just very succinctly. Uh, It says this, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, just like the story we read this morning of Balaam. He spoke through the prophets. At many times and in various ways, he gave his word to us. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. This is the power of God's word, that with his word he can say, let there be light, and there's light. And with his word he can speak himself into creation, and in, the, and in the form of Jesus Christ, rescue us, save us, heal us, and guide us. And it's not an accident or something that I'm making up on the spot because it's convenient and I'm trying to make sense of this thing that Jesus said about himself. In fact, it was something God promised us he would do thousands of years in advance. Let's look at the prophecy that Balaam ended up speaking. This foolish man who kept rejecting God's wisdom, who couldn't see an angel in the road, God actually gave him a true prophecy, and it got written down, and we can read it now, today. And this is the prophecy God gave to Balaam. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly— Yeah, right. Uh, But the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, truly does, and who sees a vision from the Almighty himself, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. Here's the prophecy. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, the child of God. How beautiful are your dwelling places, Israel, the people of God. Because your king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. And I see this king, but not now. I behold him, but not near. But one day a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And this great king will not just rescue his people from evil King Balak, he will rescue the whole world when he comes. Balaam predicted it. He saw God's active intervention in the form of Jesus Christ thousands of years before it happened. And so when Jesus says he's the word of God, what he means is he's the fullness of God's communication with us. And there's two ways to take that fact. Uh, One of the most common ways that is is prevalent today, and I think it's even prevalent in my own faith life, is, is to say, all right, God, thank you. You love me. You sent Jesus to save me. Great. Uh, But surely you are not involved in the rest of my life from now until the end of it. Uh, You know, you you, you did this one saving miracle. You, you, You conquered death. Great. But surely you don't care about who I marry or the choices I make uh, or what path my life takes. And that's called deism. And it's very common today whether people know that's the label or not. This idea that maybe God cares in the big scope of humanity, but he's surely not invested in the details of your life. 
Or, what I think is, makes much more sense and is more internally consistent, is you say, if there's a God who thousands of years ahead of time predicted and told us and promised us that he was going to send a king to rescue us from death itself, that that God who doesn't just intervene in Balaam's life through a donkey, doesn't just intervene through one historical act on the cross in Palestine 2,000 years ago, but that he doesn't then say, but the rest of it, peace, have fun. I don't really care how you muddle your way through. But through his love and his bids for connection, he's in fact actively involved in each and every one of our lives because he wants our lives to be the fullness of what he designed them to be for us. He wants us to navigate our life well and not just stumbling through and trying to muddle through and figure things out. And that he actually cares about the boring, ordinary, everyday moments and details in your life. And if that's true, and it certainly makes the most sense to me, then suddenly these details do matter. Then suddenly they might very well be God trying to intervene and change our life, not through his active voice, but through all of the other ways that people intervene and communicate and make bids for connection. And the metaphor for that is a talking donkey, uh, which I know is not super helpful. Uh, so so I've, I've got another visual metaphor that helps me try to change my own mindset for that as well. Uh, and it's this, that, uh, that you've known people who are colorblind. Uh, and, and from birth, they've been unable to see color. And, and it's, again, it's not the end of the world for them. I mean, as, as disabilities go, that's, that's not too life-changing. Um, and yet, uh, they now have a technology called Enchroma glasses that can actually correct for people uh, what you know their, their color blindness. Uh, and so, there's one example I'll share with you. This young man is Brody, and he's been colorblind since birth. And his family bought him a pair of these Enchroma glasses. So, check this out. Oh my God! Is this the real world? Is this actually what it looks like? Oh, you're wearing white. That was a nice. She, she got you pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, it was a whole. I was hoping he was going to catch it. I mean, you guys go. I heard it. I heard it over here. I'm like, ooh. The world did not change in the moments between when Brody put on the glasses and before he put on the glasses. The world was the same. The only thing that changed was he suddenly had the ability to see things that had been there the whole time that he'd never suspected were there. And ultimately, that is the picture of how I think I've been trying to go through life. I've been colorblind when it comes to God's spiritual intervention and care for the details of my life. And so I've taken things that happened and in my colorblindness just said, okay, that's just a regular thing and I ignored it and I moved on. But if we could put on the glasses and suddenly see the exact same world but in an entirely new way, wouldn't we start to notice these details and all the ways that God is actively speaking into our lives. And just like it completely rocked Brody's world to see it differently, I think it could rock ours to suddenly see all of the details, all of these silly little things that happen in each and every day, and maybe see that God is actually trying to communicate and intervene for our lives. Right? So, so someone comes to me and they, and they say, Doug, uh, you know, it was the one-year anniversary of my father's death, and, and, um, and the calendar for that day had the verse that was his confirmation verse on it. Do, do you think that was God speaking to me? And I would happily say yes. 
Of course that's God speaking words of comfort and hope to you as you're still processing through your father's death. Absolutely, that's a way that God can speak and use the details in your life to give his messages of comfort and hope. Or someone comes to me and they say, Doug, I I was leaving work and, and there was a person standing there selling bouquets of flowers on the corner that never does that. Was that a sign that God wanted me to buy flowers for my wife on the way home? And I say, yes, of course that's a sign that God wanted you to buy flowers for your wife on the way home. Absolutely take that as as God's guiding word for how you can love your spouse differently. Or someone says to me, Doug, I was watching a movie where there was a bank heist. And so I think God wants me to rob a bank. And I'll say, no, that was not a sign. Right, but, but, but all of these things, they can be things that we ignore or move past, and maybe we can uh, disregard or make fun of those who see signs in every little thing. But more and more, I've come to suspect that the people who see signs in the little things are people who actually have some color vision where I have been colorblind. And that when you're seeing God's hand in all the details of your life, that's actually just as true as the person who sees none. Because you're deciding that you're open to his intervention. You're open to his guiding hand. And I believe that just like Brody, if we're willing to believe and change our interpretation of events, that we're going to see miraculous, supernatural things. And God's going to give us color vision to help guide and influence our life in a way that we've never seen it before. So that's what the story of Balaam's donkey says to me, and I hope it communicates that same hope to you as well. Amen. We need to put that back in the lectionary. Like we need to start preaching on that more. All right, would you please pray with me this morning? Dear God, I just give you thanks that you can use what even might seem like a ridiculous story at first glance, but to speak your powerful truth of how you desire to communicate and intervene in each and every one of our lives. And so, Lord, I ask in faith this morning that you would give color glasses to each and every person here, that where we saw meaninglessness and random coincidence, we would have eyes to see all the different ways that you are communicating your love your guidance, and your hope because you do care. You care about each and every one of our lives and you want us to live them fully in color uh, and fully seeing your miraculous love for us in this world. Amen. We're going to close out tonight, or this morning with a song uh, that, uh, that I would encourage you to treat this song as your own claiming of God's promise. That he has said that he will speak to us And now let's sing this song and receive the very kinds of words of encouragement and hope that God speaks into our lives.